0: We're reading, we're studying the, the vision of the dry bones passage from Ezekiel 37. And this shirt, I found it, I loved it. It says, Never better. It's a skeleton that says, Never better. And it's kind of like us. Um, Ephesians says it like this You were dead. But Christ made you alive. And in Corinthians it says that um, although our outward man is, is wasting away, our inward man is being renewed day by day. So the reality is the older we get, this flesh, this body, it, it's, we, are, we are all dying. I know that's sad news, but it's, it's real news. We're, we're getting older and one day we will all die. But our spirit... His life, because of righteousness, is what it, uh, Romans eight says. So, I want to go ahead and from the beginning, I tell you that we will be all over the biblical map today. So, some of you, um, some Bible, um, what do you call the the Bible trivia game? What do you call that? Bible drill. Some of you Bible drillers, you may be up for the challenge of chasing, follow me around the biblical text. If not, it's okay just to write these references down. I'll be moving fast, but I want to paint a picture of the fact that we have been recreated in God's image. And I want to go ahead and tell you from the very beginning that the title of this message is You Are a Temple of the Holy Spirit. And that has implications that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. It means that we are to live holy lives. So in response today, I would ask you to say, God and me, God search my heart. Is there anything I need to repent of? Do I have any sin in my life? We are to be a holy church and a holy people because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so in response today, would you, would you repent of sin? If there's any sin in your heart, please, I urge you and beg you implore you to, to repent. I want to start In Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created him. I want you to hear it said that this is God's word. You have been created in the image of God. God is perfectly good. He is morally pure. He is perfect. And you are created in His image, to be perfect, to be holy. However, because of sin, uh, we none of us have have attained that. That's why we needed Him. And then in chapter two, verse seven, we're introduced to a theme that will be chased throughout. We'll, we'll follow this theme in the sermon to in this in this message throughout the entirety of the Bible. Genesis 2.7 Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. This is a very important verse, the very beginning of the Bible. God introduces us to this theme here that He creates, but it's not until God breathes into the man that He comes to life. Okay? Okay? This word breath, in the Hebrew, is ruach. Say it with me, ruach. All right. So it can be translated as wind, breath, or spirit. I only tell you that to emphasize these words, wind, breath, and spirit. So it says, he breathes into the man and he comes to life. These are themes that will be followed throughout the entirety of the Bible. Now, we're going to jump to... Ezekiel 37. So, as we have been tracking this story this year, here's what happens. Short form, man sinned. Lots of bad things happen. Lots and lots and lots of bad things happen. Men are far from the ideal. The ideal was. Adam and Eve in the garden before they had sinned. It was the ideal man. They were in God's image and they were morally pure. And then sin happened, the curse happened, and we have been far from the ideal. God gave the promise to Abraham. He said, Abraham, through your offspring, the entire world will be blessed. I will bless the whole world through your offspring. And then Moses came along and God gave them the covenant. And God said, essentially, if you, Israel, will obey me, I will bless you. If you, will, if you disobey me, you will be cursed and even cut off. So we come to Ezekiel. And by now, Israel has split into Israel and Ju- uh, Judea, Judah. And so they have split nations. Israel has been exiled in God's judgment to Assyria and um. Judah now has been exiled to Babylon. This is God's judgment. He promised that if you disobey me continually, you will be judged. Okay, now they're in Babylon. And in Ezekiel 10 and 11, it shows that the presence of God leaves the temple. This is a big deal. Because until this point in the story... The temple in Jerusalem held God's presence. God's presence was there in the, in the Holy of Holies above the Ark of the Covenant. His presence was in the temple. And His presence left, which is a big deal, and it signifies and symbolizes that the covenant is done. The covenant is done. Ezekiel 37, we read in verse 14, that I will put my spirit within you. And this theme is repeated throughout Throughout Ezekiel, he's saying a new thing is coming. And let's read Ezekiel 37 from verse 1. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh, Lord God, you, you know. I don't know. That, that's an absurd question. I, these bones can't come to life unless you do it. Verse 4, then he said to me, prophesy over the bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to the bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. Remember Genesis 2. Verse 6, and I will lay sinews on you and I will cause flesh to come over you and I will cover you with skin and I will put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a sound and behold a rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone and I looked and behold there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them but there was no breath in them. Kind of like Genesis 2. Verse 9. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and I will raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When, the, when I open your graves and when I raise you from your graves, O my people, verse 14 and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. So Genesis was the creation. And this passage right here is a, the promise of the recreation. He promises to do a new thing, an unheard of thing, a thing that they, quite honestly, I don't think they understood. Because in a second, we'll read in John 3, Jesus has a conversation with the teacher of the law, the Pharisee Nicodemus, who didn't know what Jesus was talking about. So let's jump to John 3. John 3, this is the most famous verse in the world probably. John three sixteen, but we're not going to get to 16. There, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? In other words, I don't understand what you're talking about. Verse 10, Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. In other words, Nicodemus, have you not read Ezekiel 37? Verse 11, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you don't receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Remember, Ezekiel called himself the son of man. The Lord called Ezekiel son of man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Verse 14, the Son of Man, Jesus is helping Nicodemus to see. He's calling himself the Son of Man. Remember, Jesus, a lot of times, all throughout the Gospels, called himself the Son of Man because he's connecting himself with the Old Testament prophets who prophesied about him. In Ezekiel, the Lord says, Son of Man prophesied to the bones. And tell them to come back to life. Jesus says, I'm the son of man. And if anyone believes on me, he will receive eternal life. And he will be born again. All right, so let's stop for a minute and think about this. Genesis says, God created when he breathed his spirit into Adam and Eve. Then sin happened, so we needed help. Because sin causes death. And in Ezekiel 37, it's the vision and the promise of the recreation. And then Jesus explains the recreation here, but it hasn't happened yet. He's explaining it because he has to die first and be raised. Born again. Have 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 any of you ever heard the phrase born again? You had no clue what it's talking about? Born again. Some people call it, I was saved Some people call it, I ask Jesus into my heart. Some people call it, it's what we're talking about here is the moment of recreation when a dead person comes to life. And this only happens through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, let's keep going. So Jesus explains the promise of the recreation, being born again. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus said. Let's move forward, Acts 2. <clears throat> Sorry, Acts 1. We'll start in Acts 1. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. That's Jesus' they're saying Jesus's words. But to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me. Verse 5 in chapter 1. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Acts 2 verse 1. Now, as we read this, keep Ezekiel 37 in mind. Ezekiel 37 was prophesying about Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided languages of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And, they, and then the rest of the chapter, they're proclaiming the gospel to these people who were from all over the different areas and all over different languages. And they were there to worship. And they heard the gospel, the message of being born again, proclaimed to them for the first time in their own language. This is the first moment of the fulfillment of Ezekiel 37, of being born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember Ezekiel 37. Jesus said, I'm going to do a greater thing. I mean, sorry, the Lord said, I'm going to do something so great. I'm going to put my spirit within you. Now, remember, early in Ezekiel 10 and 11, it shows that that God's presence had left the temple in Jerusalem. Here, they're in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, and God's presence returns, but not into a temple built with hands, not into a building, but into the hearts of the church. This promise is fulfilled right here, and it continues today. When a man or woman places their faith in Jesus Christ, God is places His Spirit within you and you become a temple of God. You become a temple of the Holy Spirit. He places His Spirit within you and the blood of Jesus is applied to your heart and your sins are washed away. And you become the ideal again, just like before sin. Except for it's even greater because it's not like just as if you haven't sinned. It's you have sinned, but God says, I forgive you, right? And you are made pure. Now, I want to jump over again to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where we get the language, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about that. First Corinthians chapter 6. So I want to talk now about, okay, you, I want to say if, if you are, have faith in Jesus, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit of God does dwell within you in the same way that I live in the same house with my wife and we're two different people. But we live in the same house. But we're joined as one. The Bible tells us that we are one flesh. In the same way, Paul explains here that you, your spirit dwells with the Holy Spirit of God. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are not born again. And I want to be clear with you about that. And I want to clearly invite you to be born again and to place your all. This is Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross as God. And he says, I want to offer you forgiveness, and I want to offer you spiritual life. But just as he explained to Nicodemus in in, um, John chapter 3, he says, anyone who places his faith in me will receive eternal life. You will be born again. Place your faith in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6 16. Paul is writing to the first Corinthians church, or to the Corinthians church, and uh, he is correcting a lot of problems. They were they had they were they loved God, but they had a lot of problems that he had to correct. This one is specifically sexual immorality. There was there was apparently rampant sexual immorality in the church, and Paul's like, guys, no. First Corinthians 6:16 says, "Do you not know?" You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Right here he's saying your body was not made for sexual immorality. His point is that you are made for purity and holiness and a right relationship with God and and integrity and character in the world and the way that you handle yourself. Because remember Genesis 2, you were created in the image of God. Genesis 1, created in the image of God. And then you were born again and given His Spirit so that you could glorify God in this world. I want to bring up what does it mean? What does it not mean that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? Because I want you to know that there is such a thing as misinterpretation and misapplication of Scripture. You have to be careful with it. When someone says, well, the Bible says, just be careful. Just make sure that that's what it, within the context of what it's talking about, you know, you just have to be careful when people come and condemn you. with, that's what the Bible says, be careful. Okay, I'll give you an example. Growing up, I heard this. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, so don't get any tattoos. Have you heard that before? I'm hearing some chuckles. Okay, we've heard that before. Okay, We can give the whole alphabet of examples of, well, you're a Christian, so blah, blah, blah. Don't do this and that. That's not what this is saying. It's saying, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, so glorify Him. And don't live morally evil. Don't live morally impure. Glorify God. And, and, and I want to show you over here, I want to conclude with Colossians. The Apostle Paul writes here in uh, Colossians 2. He says, If you died with Christ to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I want to read that last line again. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The problem is me and it's you. I'm not trying to be harsh here, but the problem is not the thing. The problem is you. The problem is the indulgence of your flesh. That's what sin is. So, you may be carrying... There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with abstaining from something or doing a certain practice habitually. There's nothing wrong with that. There may be, that may be good and healthy for you. But the problem isn't the thing. The problem is the sin. It's the indulgence of the flesh. We can, we can talk about greed... In your business, are you are you hungry for um, dishonest gain? Are you trying to manipulate people? That's the indulgence of the flesh. More, more, more. We see that all the time. It's corrupt and it's evil and it's not godly. Or how about lust? Um, more, more, more. I'm not satisfied with 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 my marriage, so I'm gonna I'm gonna partake in pornography, or I'm gonna um, cheat, or I'm gonna you know, do X, Y, and Z, all these things. It's the indulgence of the flesh. It's sin. The problem is not pretty women. Women, the problem is you. The problem is the indulgence of the flesh. That's the problem. Tattoos, I don't know where people even got that from. The problem is not tattoos or ink. The problem is, I don't know, that's probably a problem of judgment. I don't know. Also, one reason why I've heard a reason why atheists or people that are non-Christians, some beef they have with us, if you, it is that they think that we are hateful. They think that we are judgmental. Indeed, there are some Christians that are hateful and judgmental. But we let it not be said of us that we're hateful and judgmental. So, I want to conclude with chapter 3. Of Colossians, it's beautifully written. And in conclusion, as we read Colossians 3, I want to specifically ask us to say, God, search my heart, reveal sin to me, that I would repent of it and um, be clean. I want to give an example. I meant to give this at the beginning, but I forgot. I want to give it, this as an illustration. Caitlin and I, my wife Caitlin, is a fantastic, um, gracious, and loving wife. And God has just really blessed me with her. And um, we have been blessed to have a, just a good marriage However, year one, there were a few bumps in the road and particularly in the realm of like pride and not knowing how to submit to one another, right? Ringing some bells. So I remember this, I wanted to share this this moment with you where God changed me. We were bickering with one another about who knows what and I'm pretty sure what happened was I like, she like worked really hard to make this soup, and then I ate it with crackers. And she got mad at me for disrespecting the soup by eating it with crackers. <laughs> 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 and um, so <laughs> uh, and we're bickering and everything, and we get mad at each other or whatever. And and so I remember I'm I'm in the closet like, literally hanging up clothes and folding clothes. Like, that's not something I just do. I was just trying to get away from her. And I was giving her the silent treatment, right? So that just means you're not going to, I'm not going to talk to her until she comes and apologizes. She didn't need to talk to me that way, you know. And I remember so clearly um, the Lord spoke to me and spoke to my heart in that moment. And there's a verse somewhere in the New Testament that says, if you don't... um, if you don't be nice to your wife, um, God's not even going to hear your prayers. And th- there's lots of verses and instruction on husband and wife relationship. And it says, husbands, be gentle and understanding with your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Um, I, it also gives instructions for the wives to treat the husbands in, in, a, in a nice manner as well. <laughs> and, uh, but I can't control anyone except for me and my responsibility is to worship God in the way that I treat other people especially my spouse that is what holy living is all about and so I was like okay Lord and I humbled myself before God and before my wife and I walked out and I said the Lord told me I have to say I'm sorry so I'm sorry I really don't want him to stop listening to my prayers. Um, but that that moment fundamenta- fundamentally changed um, how I interacted with her in a moment of frustration. The Bible doesn't say Don't get mad. Like being mad is an emotion that is real, and you can't just, I'm never going to get mad because I'm a Christian now. no. There's this thing called self-control through the Holy Spirit. And you don't just force yourself. You don't say, I'm going to just muster up enough power to be self-controlled. No, you abide in Christ and the Holy Spirit will produce fruit of righteousness in your life. That's how you do that. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. So in that moment where Caitlin and I were bickering at each other, I chose to abide in the Lord. I wasn't at the beginning, but the Lord was like, hey, that's not good. You can't do that. Okay, Lord, I'm submitting to you. I'm abiding in you. And hey, our relationship got better. So it's possible, just like we live in the same house. We're two different people, but we live in the same house or temple. You and the Holy Spirit live within your body. Okay, it's not something you can physically explain. It's in the spirit realm, but you know it. Is true and it's what the Bible teaches. You can, just like we can live in the same house and not be close. It's possible. We can live in the same house and not talk. That's possible. The same is true for your relationship with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit within you. You must be close with Him and intimate with Him through prayer, through reading the Word, through drawing near to Him. And then the fruit of righteousness will just be produced in you. And that's what this, this whole thing is about, holy living. It's not about rules and regulations. Like maybe you need to, I mean seriously, like if you are addicted to X, Y, or Z, if, you're, if, you're, if you struggle with being an alcoholic, you probably should not drink alcohol, right, if that's a temptation for you. Um, and, and there's a whole, we could go into a whole list of things. There is wisdom and boundaries. But it's not, it's not the stuff. It's our heart. So I want to ask us to repent of sin. And sin is a heart issue, right? Actions proceed from the heart. And so we need to repent. We need to be holy and, um, I'm not going to read Colossians three. You can go read it at the house, um, but it just talks about this. It's it's so beautiful. Go read Colossians three uh, later later this week, and it's just really beautiful. Um. All right. Again, if you are listening to this message today, and you have not been born again. If the Spirit of God has not taken residence in your body, in your, in your heart, I want to invite you to begin your relationship with Jesus. Jesus explained it in John 3. He said, if you place your faith in me, you will be born again. You will be saved. And you will inherit eternal life. And um, Christian church, we need to walk in holiness and reveal God's glory to the world. So remember, everywhere you go this week, everywhere you go this week, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So when you're interacting with that person, that customer, when you're doing that thing, remember, you represent Jesus. His Spirit is with you. Let's pray together and let's spend time reflecting in prayer and in response. God, we give you all the glory. Glory be to your name. You are worthy of all praise and you are so good. You are beyond our definition of good. You are Your goodness is forever. Your steadfast love, Lord, is forever. Lord, you didn't have to reach out to us in grace, but you did. Lord, we pray that you would empower us to live holy lives, to grow in righteousness and to cease from sin. We pray that we would hate sin and that we would love righteousness and that we would continue to grow in your image, which is the ideal. We pray that we would be like little Christ walking around here. We Thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to bless the entire world through your church. And you have placed temples of the Holy Spirit, which is the church, throughout the whole world. And we pray that we would just light up this world with the glory of God. God, we love you and uh, we pray for revival, awakening, and that happens through holiness. And so we thank you and we love you and we thank you so much, Jesus, for your blood. Uh, we just pray for your continued kingdom movement here in this earth and that uh, we would walk in holiness. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.